Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello everyone, Rick Martinez and for Don Curtis on this edition of Carolina Newsmakers. And we got one of the big shots here in North Carolina. His name's James Trogdon. He is the Secretary of Transportation. So you ought to think of him every time you get on the freeway or a state road. He, this is the guy that's responsible for keeping it maintained and safe. And uh, Secretary, I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Rick. I assume the roads were in great shape when you came in here. Yeah? Uh, everyone we drove on was. <laughs> That's good to know. First of all, uh, tell us just exactly what the the, uh, secre- the Department of Transportation oversees. And first of all, like how many roads do you all have to uh, take care of? We have about 80,000 miles of roads. That's about 1,100 miles of interstate, 1,500 miles of uh, U.S. and North Carolina primary roads, mm-hmm. and then the remainder, 60 plus thousand miles are secondary roads so we're one of about four states in the nation that maintain almost all the roads in the state with the exception of those within cities and towns how would that rank uh, like on uh, the top second 50? largest second largest transportation uh state maintained transportation system in the nation just a few hundred miles behind texas behind texas yes. okay and you'll probably overtake them before you know it with regard to you know there's other things that you do i used to work in the airport business and i know mm-hmm. dot uh, had uh, runs that as well. Tell us about the aviation well, side. We, in our aviation department, so we have division of highways, we have aviation division, we have public transportation, we have ferries. Aviation specifically uh, is focused on running flight ops for us. We do a lot of um, aerial photography for our engineering mm. projects as well as some passenger service. Uh, and then they also are responsible for supporting 72 general aviation airports across the state as well as we are now providing support and grants to our commercial service airports for the first time uh, in history starting a few years ago. Wow, that's you know that that's a pretty much a big deal and and I guess you know uh, when you say general aviation uh, airports uh, those are airports that are probably quite important to rural North Carolina. They well they are both rural and urban. So what happens is, and I can give you examples, way out in Franklin, North Carolina, there's a general aviation airport that's the only one in the county used by a lot of private small aircraft mm-hmm. that, that do both supporting commercial uh, transport as well as bringing freight in and out. Uh, Concord in North Carolina is a general aviation airport right outside of Charlotte that does a tremendous job. It's very busy. That's a big deal and airport. That's a big airport. Yeah. Uh, but it is general aviation. There's a large scale between just the small local, you know, with a couple of planes. Now uh, it's fairly important. Those planes typically bring a lot of r- revenue to the counties. Uh, and so mm-hmm. all the counties mm-hmm. really appreciate uh, having that general aviation capability. You said a couple of years ago you started uh, supporting the big commercial airports like Raleigh, Durham, Charlotte, uh, Piedmont. Yes. Tell me about that. Decision made by the by the General Assembly. We've got to start investing in these. Most of those were um, what I would call self-funded through their own revenue yeah. sources, mm-hmm. as well as eligible for some federal funds. The federal funds were starting to decline and get more competitive. And so, how do you keep your commercial airports, which is a, one of the strongest parts of our economy in North Carolina, how do we keep them viable? So you see Charlotte Douglas is doing a lot of expansion there. Mm-hmm. Raleigh-Durham is expanding as well. The, just an article a few days ago about how important it is to replace some of the taxiway and runway yep. and prepare for a new runway mm-hmm. to support the growth there. 
uh, because if your airport's not growing, then your economy's not growing. And I guess the other thing, too, is, is that some folks just think of uh, the big airports in terms of getting on an airplane and going from here to there. But I guess Piedmont would be a great example of just how the the corporate side of uh, of expansion uh, – Piedmont's doing a lot of good in the, yes. in the business, FedEx, particularly in Honda Jet. Yeah, Piedmont Triad is a great example. They have um, Heiko there, which does – uh, aircraft retrofits mm-hmm. uh, and upgrades. It's a garage, folks. It's a garage yeah. for airplanes. Is basically yes. that. Yeah. And uh, they have Honda Jet, which manufactures uh, a small jet that's the leader in its industry and yeah, its sector. It's a pretty cool jet. Uh, they have FedEx there, both air and ground. So about half the traffic going in and out of PTI is not commercial service. It's freight. It's other mm-hmm. business going in and out of PTI. So a great example on how. Not all the airports are the same, and each of them provide a unique capability for North Carolina. Are you guys going to get into the drone business one way or another? We're already in the drone business. Tell me about that. So uh, there's there's nine locations in the United States that was selected for the uh, FAA integration pilot program, what's called the IPP. North Carolina was one of three states. We're focused on three different areas. The first one is how to develop a flight management system that could uh, deconflict unmanned aerial system or drones from manned aircraft. In other words, the today's flight management system is only focused on manned aircraft, mm-hmm. but as there's going to be more and more conflict between dr- drones and manned aircraft, we need a flight management system that will help with both. What do your experts tell so, you about the potentials of drones? It's huge. It's growing exponentially. Um, I I don't have the latest number, but about Mm -hmm. five years ago, we had zero commercial drones registered in North Carolina, and I believe that number now is in the 35,000 range. Wow. Just in five years. So you can almost anticipate that trajectory to stay about the same, and it'll increase at those same rates moving forward. Tremendous amount of capability. Two other areas that we're working with drones uh, to test one is we were the first in the nation to deliver medical supplies to Wake Med using drones mm-hmm. with our private partners. And then the other area that we're working on, which will occur this summer in Holly Springs, uh, food delivery from local restaurants to locations using drone delivery Now, is one in of, Holly Springs. Is one of your responsibilities going to be to keep everybody out of everybody's way? Well, that's what our aviation department does is we are the ones who certify all commercial licenses. So when you get your uh, commercial license to use a drone, it comes through us. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that is teaching all of our partners with the commercial license, how are you going to manage, what's the restrictions, uh, how do you comply, and then as we develop this flight management system, how that would work. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting uh, area uh, down the road because I think most people think of a drone as these little itty-bitty things that you could probably put on your kitchen table, but they're getting bigger and more sophisticated and powerful, and it's because you'd be your all's headache (laughs) as time time goes on. The other thing that you all do is uh, that I think maybe most people don't really think about much is the ports. Tell us about uh, the management of the ports. First of all, how many do we have? We have one port authority with mm-hmm. two ports, uh, the Port of Wilmington and the Port of Moorhead, and a great team down there. Um, I think it was three or four years ago, for the first time, North Carolina started investing in its ports. Mm-hmm. 
So we now invest for capital growth. Uh, the ports has had a really, really good strategy on what needs to be done there from lengthening the berths to adding more post-Panamax cranes, the larger yeah. cranes to service mm -hmm. the big ships, turning basin improvements so you can turn the big ships. So in five years, we've gone from being able to manage or handle about a four to a 5,000 TEU ship, TEU is 20-foot mm -hmm. equivalent container, 4,000 container ship to now we're handling 12 and moving to 14,000 container ships that are coming through the, the upgraded uh, uh, Panama Canal. So being much more competitive, uh, we're growing the traffic there, both container and uh, bulk freight. Uh, so really good plan on how to grow the port. The port is important because it supports all the international commerce mm -hmm. coming into North Carolina. Is it tough sometimes? I mean, do you get good support in the General Assembly? Because, you know, you got to uh, go down there, knock on their door and say, hey, we need money to improve our ports. And I can't remember the last uh, uh, legislator said, vote for me because I'm going to improve the turning radius for ships down at uh, Wilmington. Yeah, that's not the best selling point. The <laughs> yeah. selling point is what does it do for North Carolina's economy? So uh -huh. uh, I have found transportation is one of those issues where we get really good bipartisan support. Mm -hmm. The question is, uh, what is the plan? What's the strategy? Are you going to produce that? And can you convince folks that's the right strategy? Uh, but wonderful uh, support for transportation. Really, people only disagree in, you know, the techniques or the, at the tactical level, uh, there's more conflict. But, you know, supporting transportation across our state, urban, rural, Democrat, Republican, independent, all of those, everyone understands the need for transportation and how it supports our economy. What's going on with the Global Transpark? The Global Transpark has, uh, we've done a $55 million expansion there for Spirit Aviation, which mm -hmm. is good. Spirit is our largest tenant. There's about 1,500 employees uh, there at GTP. Uh, we've just announced the growth of another 145 with a company called Jetstream Aviation, which is going to be another one of those that do sophisticated painting uh, and upgrades to aircraft. Uh, so good growth there. It's tremendously important to Lenore County and that region. The, mm. the jobs there are, are very important, much, much higher than the eastern North Carolina average. Uh, and its focus uh, is on aviation. So once again, we have another facility just like we have at GTP uh, with that kind of focus on how do we maintain strong relevance in aviation and aviation support. Now, with the Global Transpark, you know, the way it was sold back, goodness gracious, I think I want to say in the 80s or 90s, was going to be the super-duper uh, uh, port or just-in-time yep. and all, all kinds of uh, uh, concepts that really never came to fruition and so forth. But is uh, is 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 growth going to come to uh, a global transpark just like, uh, for example, uh, Dulles Airport was stuck in the middle of nowhere. Now it's a big deal airport. Uh, I just uh, Williams. Uh, there's an airport in in Arizona where that was an abandoned Air Force base, and they put a lot of money and not a heck of a lot happened. Right. Now it's beginning to to churn. Is that what you you see with global transpark? Well, you, and you gave a good example on through history from the conception of the Global Transpark. Initially, it was going to be a freight handling yeah. facility. That didn't work out. Matter of fact, FedEx chose Greensboro. That's right. Uh, and yeah. so that growth still came to North Carolina. Wonderful. Just it was not at the Global Transpark. 
So then over time, the focus became, well, what else could be relevant there? And the, the move that is seeing success is how do we get companies focused on aircraft manufacturing, maintenance, repair, and operations? That's where the growth is, and we, we anticipate that will continue. Mm-hmm. Well, that's right. In fact, the uh, Paris Air Show is going on right now. They're yeah. selling a lot of airplanes. Boeing thinks that there's going to be a huge demand for airplanes. they got to get fixed somewhere, so why not go Global Transport? And huh? Spirit, the, tank, the anchor there is a great example. They manufacture components for Airbus and for Boeing. Oh, really? Yes. So the fuselage used on some of the Airbus uh, planes mm-hmm. are all manufactured there at GTP. Okay, uh, and uh, lastly, tell us about the ferries, which um, I don't, you know, unless you're on the coast, you really don't know, but they're rather, one, they're rather significant, and two, they're not cheap to run. <laughs> no. Uh, we have the second largest ferry system in the nation as well, just behind Washington State, 21 vessels, seven routes, 21 vessels providing uh, ferry capacity, other mm-hmm. supporting. Uh, we just started the first passenger uh, service only from Hatteras Island down to Ocracoke. So seeing growth there and seeing a lot of interest in how that will help uh, with Ocracoke, it's critical in eastern North Carolina. Uh, There's large bodies of water from the Pamlico Sound, uh, you know, um, up in the Outer Banks in Currituck and those areas. The the road network drive around alternative is sometimes 30, 40, 80 100 miles uh, to drive around, so ferries are critical to supporting the economy in that area and will continue to be. We're talking with uh, James Trogan. He is the Secretary of Transportation, and we'll continue this conversation here on Carolina Newsmakers. Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself. So, should we talk about the job? What? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen. It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Man, we really could have used him. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. When we get old, will you take care of me if I can't get around anymore? Of course. We'll find a way. Are you going to take care of me if I can't see anymore? I'll read to you every day. And if one of us gets Alzheimer's disease, what then? Call 1-800-437-2423 for a free booklet on caring for your loved ones from Alzheimer's Disease Research. 1-800-437-2423. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. With uh, We are with the Secretary of Transportation, James Trognan, and uh, he uh, did an excellent job telling us of all the things that he's got to worry about every day when he uh, uh, goes to work and uh, goes home. Uh, quite a scope. But let's talk about roads, because everybody uses a road just about every day. It's critical to our economy and all of that. You said 80,000 miles that you've got to deal with and such. Uh, how do you keep it up, and uh, how do you determine where – 
you're going to build new roads? Well, uh, great question. Um, and 80,000 miles, uh, uh, people say, well, what does that look like? Uh, the best example I can give you is that's uh, seven trips around the earth. No kidding. Is 80,000 no. miles uh, or 180 lane miles. So it's basically a partnership and teamwork. Uh, first, we have a fairly sophisticated formula uh, called the Strategic Transportation Investments Law mm -hmm. on how we look at pro candidate projects uh, to build. And each of those are evaluated based on certain criteria. And then a benefit cost is uh, calculated and they're programmed based on how high they score. Um, and so th that's been since 2013, a competitive process for project selection. Mm -hmm. As we manage and we do that in conjunction with uh, what we call uh, our metropolitan planning organizations and our rural planning organizations. So think of local government partnerships. Uh, and we work, so we work with them on how do we identify where the needs are and what projects should be considered. How we own and operate the 80,000 miles is we do it with 14 divisions across the state. Um, and each division has about 400 employees, and they cover anything from six to 13 counties uh, per division. And those, uh, those personnel work with local government, contractors, um, uh, advisors, engineering firms, uh, and we both maintain, operate, improve uh, on a daily basis. Yeah, that's so an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a decent challenge. That's, that's an important part of this division system because I think most folks say, it's like, okay, you know, I got a problem here in, in, in my county and so forth. We got to go to Raleigh and get uh, work. No, you, there's, those divisions actually have quite a bit of autonomy to get things done at the local level instead of everybody right. having to bang on your door. No, and, and we're one of the few state agencies that have employees in every single county in this state. Mm -hmm. So we have employees all the way down to the county maintenance facility. Um, so your first, if it's a maintenance uh, issue, uh, drainage, litter, dead animals, first thing you do is you call your county maintenance engineer and say, hey, let him know this is what's happening. A division may have 6,000 miles of roads and 12 to 1400 bridges uh, and a county uh, may have you know about 800 five to 800 miles in a county so mm -hmm. that county engineer still has a lot of responsibility with you know his 35 to 40 employees you know 500 miles of roads 600 miles of roads he's got his hands full every day trying to make sure Every road is operational, every road is safe, every road is well-maintained. Yeah, one of the things that uh, you worry about uh, at night is is one of them funding, because, you know, I, I know one of your uh, predecessors, Tony Tata, who everybody, yeah. you know, knows was a big deal uh, general, and he's on Fox News talking about, you know, general stuff and so forth, but... Uh, he was also Secretary of Transportation, and he was always complaining about, I need a lot of money to, to maintain this roads. Are, are you getting the funding? And I, at that point in time, he was complaining about some bottlenecks in the federal government and so forth. But how, do we, how are we standing as far as uh, you know, funding to at least maintain what we have? Well, uh, annually, I've got a $5 billion budget. Uh, 4.2 of that or $4 billion of that is really state funds and then another – 1.1, uh, 5.2 total. As far as other states in comparison, uh, you know, at the at the at the gross level, it looks pretty good. The mm -hmm. challenge is because our system is so big at the dollars per mile 
we're probably in the bottom third. So no we kidding. have to really be more efficient in how we spend our dollars. Uh, and that's one of the things we've been working on. But funding today, it's, it's like a lot of things in government. You know, um, there's always a case you can build for more. The question is, are you finding the right balance to achieve the right levels of service for at the right taxing level? Uh, and so we work with the General Assembly closely on that every single year. The, so the big challenge isn't where it is today. The big challenge is where is it going to be in 10 years. Mm -hmm. So the challenge that I see is we're heavily dependent on motor fuels tax. Yeah, 50, gas tax. 57% yeah. of our revenue comes from both state and federal gas tax. Um, and we also see that over the next 10 years, there's going to be a strong move to electric vehicles, yeah. connected, autonomous uh, that that will not even use drivers. Mm -hmm. It'll be driverless, just like unmanned aerial systems, um, and that could have a significant impact on our revenue moving forward. Mm. So, we try to find the right balance today on new capacity, operations, and maintenance. The big challenge I have today is funding disasters, which is extremely hard. And, Tell me about that's that. That's a that's a growing challenge. Um, but a, a great example is uh, last year, Hurricane Florence, Hurricane Michael. Uh, most people don't realize the scope of all those storms, but uh, you know, from September through February, we spent almost $300 million in both responding to Florence, Michael, two snowstorms, mudslides in both the, the, almost all the western counties, 59 roads closed to mudslides in the western counties. Mm, wow. Uh, the worst rain we've had in, in my memory in 27 years, I think 71 inches from July yeah, through the end right. of the year. Yeah. Um, so all of those are a challenge, and right now I can take that out of our general maintenance reserve. So if I spend $300 million on disasters, my general maintenance reserve annually is only 310 which means I don't maintain roads. That's right. Yeah. So finding that balance has been a challenge. And so we're working on new strategies because historically that number was only costing us $65 million a year. From no 2004 kidding. to 2016, the average was $65 million a year. From 2017 to now, the average is $210 million a year. We're, <laughs> wow. we're, we're looking really hard at how do we come up with a better mechanism. Part of that we ultimately get reimbursed by – Federal Highway and FEMA, mm -hmm. but that time frame usually takes two to three years. Wow! So that's one of the things we're working on right now. So I guess you guys pay attention to the hurricane reports. We that come pay out. close <laughs> attention to all the hurricane reports. Yeah. We're speaking with the uh, Secretary of Transportation for the state of North Carolina, James Trogdon, and we'll continue right after this. I can help the next customer over here. Oh, thank you. Hi. Wow, that's a lot of books. Let's see how to keep your child safe, child-proofing your home. Childproofing your yard. Childproofing your in-laws home and yard. Well, I'm guessing you have a little one at home. Yeah. Well, it looks like you must take good care of her. Oh, thank you. Now, let's see. Parents' Guide to Safe Toys. That's a really good one. Parents' Guide to Safe Foods. Parents' Guide to Safe Safety Products. Parents' Guide to Parenting Guides. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and other safety tips. Of all the things you can read about keeping your child safe, the most important is attached to the back of their car seat. Read the instruction manual and learn to use the latch system. It makes it easier to be sure your child's car seat is installed correctly. Parents' Guide to Telling Other Parents How to Raise Their Kids. To learn more, go to safercar.gov. 
Anchor, tether, latch, the next generation of child safety. A message from the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. I'm Howie Mandel. Did you know attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in adults is a real and treatable medical disorder? I know because I am one of the estimated 10 million adults in the U.S. who have ADHD. The symptoms of ADHD, inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity make it difficult to pay attention and focus, be organized, complete tasks, and maintain relationships. Talk to your doctor. With the right treatment plan, you can stay focused and organized. Take an ADHD self-screener and learn more about adult ADHD at adultadhdisreal.com. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis on this edition. And this edition is with James Trogdon. He is the Secretary of Transportation for North Carolina. Okay, one of the things I really want to hit uh, is your public outreach. Because I don't know if people really understand how good it is. Uh, And uh, I guess you all put on some sort of uh, seminars uh, for improvements you were going to make on Capitol Boulevard, which I use every day. So I showed up. I was very impressed. One, you got a lot of people there to answer questions, which is great. No waiting in line uh, for, you know, your local expert. A lot of presentations. Now, is that just showbiz, or do you actually take uh, you know some of the input from regular people and say, hey, if you do that, that's going to cause this, and why don't you look at another way of doing this? No, we, we do. We take it from – we love input. Um, a, as you guys know, um, you know, transportation touches everyone, and every citizen out there has a different expectation on a, on a new facility, uh, whether they're – one who just drives through it or one who lives next to it, there's different expectations on what that facility is going to do. So uh, part of our normal public engagement process, as you mentioned, is having local public meetings mm-hmm. for input. That that has worked well historically, and we've, as you said, kind of got that down to a science on how do you do that. The real question is, uh, and that a great example I'd use is I'm sampling about 1% of the population when yeah. I do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're looking at how do we expand new techniques, so primarily social media. So today we can geofence a project, mm-hmm. which is a virtual fence around a project. As you drive through it, uh, sometime that evening when you pull up your browser, you'll get a pop-up message saying you drove through – We'd love to show you what we're considering on this project. Really? Here's what the needs are. Here's some of the alternatives. You can comment any way uh, that you want to and not have to attend the public meeting. Really? And we're, we hope that will increase our sample size for even more input from the 1% to hopefully you know, 50, 60, or 70% of the people that use facilities. I think the first location we did that was – I five or I440 widening at Meredith College. Yeah. Uh, between Meredith and the University mm-hmm. uh, Club, um, where we were having tremendous concerns about some of the. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Meredith, the Meredith folks had their hair on fire, some of the things you I, wanted to do. I think uh, losing 20% of their parking was a, <laughs> yeah. a substantial shock, and so they voiced those concerns. Yeah. Um, and we listened, compressed that design, you know, got, got Meredith's uh, concurrence on our, our, our proposal that will be built now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things we did was we said, how can we use social media to help with this, too? Because there's a lot of people who drive 440 who may not even know about a local public meeting, who may not have time to attend a public meeting. 
there's probably 100,000 people who drive that facility every day. Wow. So when we use social media and geofencing, I, I think we got about a million hits roughly. And, wow. Uh, you know, over a long weekend mm-hmm. or, and almost a week. Um, and then not as many people comment and all the way click all the way through and actually leave comments. But at least you're giving more people an opportunity to say, here's what I think is important. And, yes, all of those are great ideas because – as you know, and I'm an engineer of 27 years. You know, sometimes we look at a project purely from an engineering perspective. No kidding. And the actual <laughs> people that use it or live there may have a relevant concern or a relevant perspective that we really didn't consider. And so, any of those ideas are wonderful, and we love to take them because our idea, our goal ultimately, is to build projects that people need, want, and will use. Mm-hmm. So, if you don't need it, comment if you don't want it comment and if you're not going to use it comment all of those things help us help me help yeah yeah uh well you know i i i'm glad you brought up the meredith situation here locally which i know on that side of town they you know they were going nuts at the initial uh proposals of improvements in those areas and and dot uh, uh they made adjustments so then right. and pretty much everybody came out uh, happy at the end of the at the end of the process so anyways uh that is evidence that uh dot uh is listening uh not too long ago man maybe it was long ago you know we had i was reading about all of these uh smart roads that would tell you you know uh, how fast you were going or give you a whole lot of input give dot a lot of input is any of that coming to fruition, or are we just still in the good old, uh, you know, uh, asphalt paving business? No, it it absolutely is. So I, I refer to moving to electric vehicles. The other piece is mm-hmm. uh, connected and, and autonomous or automated. And what you're really referring to is connected uh, vehicles mm-hmm. with connected infrastructure. So. Uh, yes, it is moving that way. Uh, in North Carolina, we were partnering with Volvo to test uh, truck platooning, uh, which will share information. Yeah. Yeah. The trucks first share information so you can platoon the trucks. Then they'll be able to broadcast information to the to the infrastructure, and the infrastructure could exchange. We've installed about 25 um, more sophisticated traffic signals that will communicate with vehicles once they have this technology. Wow. Um, most of those are in the carry area, uh, but that'll be where your vehicle can approach. It'll get a signal. The signal will turn green in 10 seconds, so therefore the vehicle can mm-hmm. regulate its speed so you can <laughs> approach. Uh, all of that is we're moving in all those directions, oh, as darn. well as the moving with vehicle manufacturers into vehicles that are purely automated that really won't need to depend on the sharing of information they'll be able to make all those decisions on board wow is is that is that like five ten years down the road or it will come much faster than people believe uh i think general motors and most of the major manufacturers are saying that they're going to have uh really sophisticated connected technology in all of their vehicles by 2021 wow uh we believe that by 2025 most vehicles that will be manufactured will be either um with all the connected technology and maybe even a level three or a level four autonomous technology and certainly by 2025 most of those being manufactured will be electric so all of these things will tie together uh, let's talk about something that has a, a much uh, earlier deadline that you're you're having to deal with, and that is uh, Real ID. First, can you explain what Real ID 
is and uh, you know why should someone like me care about that uh well real id is a federal requirement that says by uh october of 2020 uh your your id can only be it will only be recognized at the federal level so if you're traveling through an airport going through tsa security mm -hmm. if you're trying to enter uh, a military installation or federal facility that requires you know security and 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 identification then you've got to meet these requirements. And so we offer, we've been offering Real ID now for uh, over a year. Um, and when and you say we, you're talking about Department of Motor Vehicles. DMV, mm -hmm. yes. And uh, if you go online, you'll see the documents that you need to take to get your Real ID. Uh, and the Real ID is the one with the little gold star in the right mm -hmm. upper corner. Uh, without Real ID, you'd still be able to drive, still be able to do all the things that you do but if you went to the airport to travel, you'd need another form of identification, like, for example, um, a passport or something. A passport mm -hmm. would be perfect. So if you had a passport and uh, a regular North Carolina driver's license without the gold star, those two documents would still be adequate to fly or enter into a military installation. So um, we, we've issued about 1.1 million real IDs to date. Um, we think by the end of next year we'll be up to uh, two million, uh, and we believe that's a reasonable estimate on the number of people that's going to be required to have these in order, or need these in order to fly and uh, mm -hmm. conduct business. Yes. Uh, wow. So you got a million people that uh, have to come to your facilities across the state and and, and get this. Are you uh, are you geared up for that? Uh, last year we struggled. Uh, mm -hmm. As everyone knows, the lines were really long uh, last year. Uh, some waits, uh, the, I think the average wait time was in the 120 minute. Oh, it's like going to Disney World. Just just to start your transaction. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that was really unacceptable. So uh, the entire team at DMV uh, with um, a consultant. We work with a consultant to review all of our processes and find ways to streamline. Uh, we're implementing that this summer. Uh, we've got 29 pilot offices that are doing new techniques across the state with the idea that we want to um, reduce the initial demand by 20% by offering better and more frequent appointments. So we lower those peaks and then improve our processing uh, and uh, our service times by 40%. Wow. And then we added another 20% in additional capacity from new offices to new examiners in strategic locations. We're seeing great results to date, but this is still June and not August. Yeah. Um, and seeing substantial improvements in those 29 offices. And then we're taking the lessons learned there uh, doing things like giving all of our offices scorecards every single day on how fast did they process yesterday, where were the challenges, what was working well, what needs improvement, and those office managers can now brief their employees every day, every day. with real-time data. Oh. Um, so that's, that's making a big improvement, and that's the direction that we're moving. We're speaking with uh, James Trogan. He is the Secretary of Transportation. And uh, when we come back, we'll learn a little bit more about James Trogdon. You're listening to Carolina Newsmakers here on the North Carolina News Network. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, 
I helped tow your moving trailer. You know, Five, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me. Your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. You've got your shades on, do you? So cool, so hip, so sheltered by frames of UV protection to show the world you are a force. But did you also know by wearing sunglasses you're doing your eyes a favor? That's right, sunglasses help avoid overexposure to the sun, which can produce red eyes, a feeling of grittiness, even excessive tearing. But you, oh master of the incognito, are taking care of your eyes without even knowing it. For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist or visit AOA.org. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis on this edition with uh, James Trogdon, who is the Secretary of Transportation. And as you can tell, the man has a busy day uh, every time when he goes uh, uh, to work. Uh, how did you get into this this whole transportation business? I mean, did you, when you were seven years old, say, I want to be Secretary of Transportation for the state of North Carolina? How did this all come about? Absolutely not. No, I uh, uh, decided early on I was going to NC State. I was interested in engineering, mm-hmm. um, well, um, at my senior year in high school, so that, that early. And um, uh, when I got to NC State, uh, I had no clue uh, – you know took some uh of the test during orientation they said well you've been accepted but uh you don't have a college that you're assigned to so you know mm-hmm. which one are you interested in and i said well what pays the most <laughs> uh, and they said chemical engineering and i said well sign me up for that and that lasted <laughs> until i completed my first chemistry class and uh, i said the uh, there's got to be a um, something more interesting to me, and so yeah. at that time I was in engineering, uh, a kind of a one-on-one introductory to all engineering. And that week, uh, the guy who was briefing civil was just fascinating. He too was a prior service in the army. Uh, he had originally flunked out at NC State. Now he's a professor. Went in the army, <laughs> spent some time, came back, and I was in the National Guard at the time. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he got my interest in civil engineering and then, you know, got into civil and really enjoyed it. Then uh, started working part-time when I was in graduate school at, uh, at NCDOT um, and uh, then went into consulting, uh, went into roads and consulting and, and found out, hey, most of the roads in North Carolina are, are operating and managed by NCDOT, so that's probably where I need to go, and that's where I ended up. What uh, piqued your interest in engineering? I mean, is that where all the dates, you know, uh, you didn't have to wait for a date uh, if you were an engineering uh, uh, student? No, absolutely, because at that time, it was all almost all primarily male, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, <laughs> it didn't work out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that didn't work out. Um, <laughs> no, it was, it was really a love the interest in building things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the fascinating things in looking at North Carolina DOT and the history was uh, I think one of the first leaders at North Carolina DOT was a guy named Frank Page. He was the very first uh, commissioner in charge, which is equivalent of the secretary today. 
was a World War I veteran um, engineer from Engineer Regiment in the Army uh, and started uh, – you know what was then called the Good Roads Movement, which yeah. we became the Good Road State, mm-hmm. the fifth state in the nation to institute a motor fuels tax, uh, the second state to use uh, state bonds to advance uh, transportation, and at that time North Carolina sold more bonds than all uh, 49 states, with the exception of New mm-hmm. York, for transportation. So. He was responsible for leading the organization that built 8,000 miles of new roads in 10 years and connected all the county seats in North Carolina. So learning things like that and the history of transportation in our state, just uh, uh, a good example is I think we're now at at a similar transition point in history as to they were when they were transitioning from horse and buggy to automobile and needed that kind of growth. We're at a similar point in how we're going to see transformation uh, in transportation, and it's just a perfect time to be here. Do do many young people know some of the in, incredible uh, innovation that's going on in transportation? I mean, everybody knows about uh, uh, you know Silicon Valley, and that's you know all the sexy engineering build things. Do do people really understand that, uh, what kind of uh, career opportunities exist in transportation? Um, that's a hard question for me to answer, but I can tell you I suspect that uh, because it's it's more hidden in transportation. Some of the technology advances are occurring today are behind the scenes from the public, whether yeah. they're at, with motor vehicle manufacturers or back office systems or uh, our ability. A great example is our ability today to use real-time data to determine what's the average travel speed every one to two miles on the interstate and we can figure that out every five to ten minutes using real-time data and that's the data that's being transmitted by your cell phone no kidding wow no kidding so these are things that most people don't know Mm -hmm. uh but i believe that just like they're seeing the the advance in communications because they're commercially available products that that same technology is helping us in transportation advance Mm -hmm. It's just one that you don't see because it's not a consumer product. Well, since uh, Don Curtis isn't here and I can get away with this, uh, let me see if I can, you know, give a commercial as to why people should, uh, you know, coming out of NC State or maybe going into NC State should look at working at the North Carolina Department of Transportation. Well, we're definitely growing. Uh, We've uh, increased our uh, building program from $1.5 billion per year to $3 billion per year over the last two years. Uh, we're going to continue that for the next two with some of the innovative tools the General Assembly has allowed us to have, like Build NC, uh, which is a transportation bonds. Um, the the future for the next five years, to quote the uh, CEO of Mary Barra of General Motors, mm-hmm. next five years we'll see more change in transportation than we've seen in the last 50. So if you want to be on the cutting edge of how to implement all this advanced technology from um, machine learning to uh, artificial intelligence to cloud technology, streaming live data, working with private sector partners to add value uh, so that in the future, I would anticipate citizens will be able to take a trip from their doorstep to wherever they want to go using their phone or some other technology and never have to own a vehicle and do it cheaper than they can do it today by owning a vehicle. Wow. 
this is the time to get in the front end. And so that also impacts how we build, what we build, and where we build future transportation um, solutions. You know, earlier uh, this week, I was uh, out at uh, Wake Tech, and uh, they have a pretty good uh, partnership with uh, local law enforcement as far as uh, training of of, uh, first responders and such. Uh, Does DOT have uh, any type of partnerships with the universities and uh, community colleges in uh, North Carolina? We do. Uh, We're now running all of our transportation academies. So these are... uh, What's that? It's basically, um, if we're looking to increase the number of commercial drivers licensed truck Mm -hmm. drivers that we have, for example, we'll run transportation academies so that you can go through there if you're interested, get the skills you need to go then to DMV and get a commercial driver's license and be qualified to work with us and we'll help place you in one of our vacancies. Wow. Uh, You know, that's one example. Equipment operators, uh, engineer technicians, all of those we're we're doing in our academy system in partnership with the North Carolina Community Colleges. I think there's 14 Mm -hmm. locations across the state. Uh, Even more important, though, is we're working closer with our community colleges that produce both engineers and our operations and trades, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a supervisor, manager, uh, t- signal technician, any of those, we're working much closer to community college to better be recruiting to mm-hmm. recruit there, mm-hmm. because one of the, th- the the things that have been obvious to me is our system of recruiting in the past was post a job on an obscure government website, <laughs> uh, what my HR director calls the post and pray method. Uh, that does not work any longer. Really, uh, with with people, uh, both millennials and other younger people, you really have to seek them out, Mm. find them, uh, and advertise in ways that they're going to see it. No one's going to go look at your site. So uh, that that is where we're going. How do we, and once again, trying to use social media, geofence, universities, community colleges, places that we can push messages and opportunities, provide them through the academies, through our entry-level engineering program, uh, opportunities to see DOT, and then decide, is this a place that I want to work long-term? Interesting. And um, also work with our partners, because it's not just important that we have the capability, but also our private engineering firms that help us with about 85% of our design work, uh, the contractors that build all of our facilities across the state, we're working with them so that we all can be more competitive in what everyone refers to as the STEM, science, technology, mm-hmm. engineering, and math, uh, because we're losing too much talent to other industries. So how can we work together? You know, I think that's an interesting point that you bring up. I don't know if everyone understands that uh, probably to get stuff done in the Department of Transportation, it's not like you got employees to do all the work. There's a tremendous amount of uh, contracting with private enterprise. Tell us a little bit about that. No, um, we we contract about seventy percent of uh, all the work that we do. Um, a great example or a great number that uh, that can tell you exactly the volume is about fourteen percent of every dollar I spend is just on our labor. 
the rest is on really? all the other stuff that we yeah. produce. It's the materials we buy. It's the work that we get through contract. It's the external engineering capabilities that we assign to projects to come up with the designs, alternatives. Uh, so a vast majority of every dollar that we spend is not spent on our employees. It's spent on delivering these services. Interesting. Um, and the other thing, too, is that, you know, uh, I used to work in state government and uh, a budget director, his name was Lee Roberts. I'll never forget what he said when he went on to start this big deal uh, fund that he uh, went. He said, I wish people knew just how dedicated the average state employee uh, is. Now, he was talking in the budget department, how dedicated is the uh, transportation worker that, uh, that we um, uh, have working on our behalf? Well, a great example, there's two. A great example is uh, following Hurricane Florence, we had 3,400 locations where roads were damaged, about 2,400 roads closed in total, 1,600 at the peak of the storm. Wow. Um, within three months, we had a vast majority of those open, and by February of this uh, this year, we had all of them open. Uh, and I'm I don't remember a time where we've ever been able to respond that quickly. But mm -hmm. and it's not just our employees; we're using also contract help and others to do that because it takes a team. Yeah. But um, a, a wonderful example is every time you see a snow, uh, <laughs> our employees are out there working. 14 18 hours on a shift uh to make sure those roads are open as quickly as possible to get the snow out because everyone knows in north carolina when you shut down mobility you shut down the economy so if you shut down mobility because of a snow for five days uh that's less economic opportunity that's economy that you're losing yeah yeah uh, and so that's our job is to make sure our economy moves and they move on roads, and they move on transit, and they move in the air, and we support all of those. Our guest has been uh, Secretary of Transportation for the state of North Carolina, James Trogdon. Mr. Trogdon, this has been fun. Thank you so much for taking uh, time and speaking to the people of North Carolina. Thank you, Rick. And uh, next week, uh, Don Curtis will be back on uh, a new edition of Carolina Newsmakers. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.